right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Well, hello. Good afternoon, everybody. Lawrence, surrounding areas. I am Adam Dravetta, and this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on 1320 KLWN and FM 1017. Flying solo today, as you, if you've been listening this week, which you should have. Uh, you got real no excuse. We've got uh, we've got it on the air. We've got it on the podcast. So you should know this already that uh, I'm flying solo today and Monday. Derek is out of town. He's in California. I believe he had a golf tournament today. I hope he did well in that or is doing well in that. I'm not sure the exact time of it. Uh, but yeah, we're uh, we're going to be together for the next three hours or so. A quick programming note. Initially, we were supposed to have the girls' basketball game uh, for Free State, um, the girls' game at 5.15 and the boys' game at 7. We are going to carry those for you. Uh, the girls' game has been postponed until January uh, sometime. I wasn't given an exact date. Uh, was not given a reason either. Um, we can all speculate, but I, I would not feel very responsible speculating on these sorts of things. All we know is there was a girls game scheduled. We were going to air it. It is not going to be aired anymore. So instead of taking you to 5.15, I'm taking you right up to 6 o'clock, at which point Cole C. DeButar will run a little bit of a best of Rock Chalk Sports Talk for you. And then at 6.30, Sam Speck and Craig Hersheiser, they'll take over live from Free State High School, uh, where Free State is taking on Shawnee Mission Northwest tonight. I believe, let me double check on that, that uh, we're getting the correct, I'm getting you guys the right uh, information there. Free State High School will be playing yes, Shawnee Mission Northwest. I'm sorry, it took me a second to load that. So yeah, uh, the boys game's still on, last I heard. Uh, that's at 7pm. Uh, we'll have pregame for that at 6.30pm. Uh, Sam Speck, Craig Hershiser on the call right here on 1320 KLWN, FM 1017. uh, Free State Firebirds taking on Shawnee Mission Northwest, I believe. The Shawnee Mission Northwest Cougars, if I'm not mistaken. But So that will come. um, Again, no girls game. uh, Boys game, yes, still on. What are we going to talk about? I've got all this time to myself now. I'm talking to nobody in a studio. Uh, Derek isn't here. I've got nobody to bounce ideas off of. I guess let's talk about what had me screaming in my living room at about 1045 last night. And that was Travis Kelsey trotting into the end zone with a football in his hand, doing the Dan Sorensen high step as the Chiefs came back two different times. They were down 21 to 13. They came back from that. They were down 28-21 with just a couple minutes left. They came back from that. They defeated the Los Angeles Chargers in overtime and essentially locked up the AFC West for all intents and purposes. They have a two-game lead with three games to go. 
Uh, Derek and I have been saying for weeks, you go 3-0 and in this stretch between the Raiders or the Broncos, the Raiders, and the uh, Chargers, and you've basically got this thing sealed, and that they do. They've got a two-game lead over the Chargers. To the Chiefs sit at 10-4, Chargers at 8-6. and let me just tell you this. This is from Pro Football Focus, and, and different analytic sites do their uh, playoff odds and calculations in different manners. So take this for what you will. I, I'm a fan of Pro Football Focus, but if nothing else, even if you don't take these numbers as gospel, at least take them to at least get an appreciation for what it is we just saw and how important those last nine minutes were. Because a lot of us were losing faith with nine minutes left when – Patrick Mahomes bounces a ball toward McCole Hardman, and we're going, what? And Frank Clark isn't getting the quarterback, and I'm prepared to talk about that today, how in spite of Slater, the left tackle for the Chargers not being in, Frank Clark still couldn't get to the quarterback, Justin Herbert, how important it was to have Chris Jones on the uh, on the t- field last night. He was out um, because you had the Chargers running all over the Chiefs, and how I thought if you're going to be so afraid to have a quarterback dive when it's short yardage, then you need to bring in Chad Henney or Blake Bell. Blake Bell, as we know, has some quarterback experience from college. You bring in a tight end. You bring in your backup quarterback. If you don't want to have Patrick Mahomes do a quarterback dive because a couple years ago his knee went to the side of his leg uh, in Denver on a quarterback dive, fine. Don't do it then with him. But you got to figure something out because you can't get that close to the goal line and come up short. The Chiefs did, and they, in large part because they had a wide-open McCole Hardman, and while I think they should have gone uh, for a quarterback dive there, it still, you trust your quarterback to make a play there, and, and he just launched it straight into the ground uh, like a three-year-old carrying an Olympic shot put. He admitted it was a bad pass. I thought I was going to take talk about that. I thought I was going to ta- talk about missed opportunity after missed opportunity after missed opportunity because the Chargers were stopped, what, thrice? Twice or thrice inside the, the 10 or 5-yard line. Uh, they go for it on fourth down a few times. You can talk about whether or not you agree with that. The numbers say that they were dead on right with going for it where they did. It just didn't work out for them. Uh, and they will and you know, but they... I thought this whole time I'm going to have to talk about these wasted opportunities, how the Chargers came away with some 31 to 28 victory, some 27-24 victory, some 21 to 19 victory over the Chiefs because they wasted all these opportunities. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about the Kansas City Chiefs having a stranglehold on what will be their sixth consecutive AFC West championship. Their sixth consecutive AFC West Championship, breaking a record, I believe, last held by the Peyton Manning Colts. They won five straight division titles. Uh, So what you're seeing right now with this team is unprecedented. So back to these numbers I was talking about. uh, Current division odds going into last night's game. Kansas City, 75% to win the division. Chargers, 22% to win the division. Had the Chargers won... That would have jumped them to a 59% chance to win the division and dropped the Chiefs to a 35% chance to win the division. So going into that game, the Chiefs had a 3-4 and four chance of winning the division. Had they lost, they would have had basically a 1-3 shot at winning the division. They would have needed a lot of help. 
They would have been tied in record with the Chargers, and the Chargers would have had two wins over them, one in Arrowhead, one in Los Angeles. Kansas City did win. So as such, according to Pro Football Focus, the Chiefs have a 96% chance to win the AFC West. Again, that would be their sixth consecutive AFC West crown. That means they, if they win the division, they're hosting a playoff game. And oh, by the way, they're still in line for the one seed. Now the Titans are looking behind them. Now the Patriots are looking behind them. We'll have to get into those games a little bit later. By the way, uh, at least one of the games, so far Colts and uh, Patriots is still on for tomorrow night. But um, there was the Browns. Um, cannot remember who they're playing. Oh, the, the uh, Vegas Raiders. The Browns and the Raiders has been postponed till Tuesday. That's due to COVID. Um, but now you've got the Titans looking behind them when they play this Sunday. You've got the Patriots looking behind them when they play tomorrow night against the Colts. And the Colts are a salty bunch. The Chiefs are were 3-4 and four not long ago, guys. And now they're in line for getting potentially the one seed, which means the only bye in the AFC playoffs, which means home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs. Let me tell you about what Mahomes did last night because he looked pedestrian at best through most of the game. I mean, did any of you watch a, a Hall of Fame, you know, a, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback till there was about 10 minutes left in that game? I saw a guy chunk a shot down to McCole Hardman that landed eight feet in front of its intended target. But let me. But then let's talk about what we saw after that when Mahomes got angry, and he had what the the late great Therese Paler. If you didn't have an opportunity to hear or read Therese Paler's work, Therese Paler was a beat writer for the Kansas City Star for a while, covered the Chiefs. Then he uh, got an opportunity to become a national NFL writer for Yahoo Sports. He very sadly passed away um, at a at a tragically young age. But he had a wonderful way of saying things. His, his, he put really tough players on what he called his all-juice team. And then he had he had great different terms for uh, for certain games. And, and superstar players have these games where they step up and they say, I'm not losing this game. I'm not going to let my team lose this game. He called those an over-my-dead-body game. That's what Therese would call it. This was an over-my-dead-body game for the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. All he did over the course of the last nine minutes and overtime was lead three touchdown drives of 75 yards or more, one drive of which he needed a two-point conversion in which he needed to make a huge address adjustment because his first and second reads weren't there. And he found uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was supposed to be off blocking during that play, realized Mahomes was in some trouble, readjusted himself, and Mahomes found him in the, in, in the middle of the end zone the two-point conversion to tie it up, and all of a sudden it's 21-21. to 21. Well, then what happens? Okay, the Chargers, they go down real quick, by the way, and they score. And look, our, the Chiefs' defense struggled last night, but credit where credit's due. They've got uh, certainly, I think, a, a quarterback that's going to win some All-Pro awards someday and I think could be trending to a, uh, toward a Hall of Fame career. I think we're going to have a lot of really fun AFC West matchups between the Chargers and the Chiefs as long as they have, as long as the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes and as long as uh, the Chargers have Justin Herbert. Um, and so after that, what does he do? He drives him down. There's a little over two minutes left. He drives him down, gets him a touchdown again, and Chiefs defense holds that next time. You think, man, 
few seconds left, three timeouts. Chiefs might go down and get a field goal. Sadly, they didn't. Uh, a couple things happen. With five seconds left, they take a knee. Fine. Let's go to overtime. Melvin Ingram, the hero, the new acquisition. Not only has he been great addition on the offense on the defensive line, excuse me. Uh, he apparently can also call some coin flips. Tells never fails. Chiefs get the ball to start overtime. What happens with these new rules? If you score a touchdown, the other team is kaput. This game is over. Chiefs are driving. Chiefs are driving. They had what I think was a third and nine at one point where Mahomes had to escape. Tyreek Hill ran an exquisite route, and they converted that for a first down. Later on, 34 yards to go. Travis Kelsey catches it, breaks a tackle. You're thinking, all right, first down. Whoa, he broke another tackle. Hey, he broke another tackle. That's all green grass. Travis Court Kelsey's going to score. That's what we were all thinking. So everybody in my living room goes nuts. My dog is freaking out. And it's just all of a sudden, the Chiefs from there, in those nine minutes, went from a 1-3 in three chance of winning this division to a 96% chance of winning this division. They now have a two-game lead with three games left. And it's time to stop kicking the can down the road. We talked about, okay, they lose to Tennessee. They're sitting at three and four. Oh, boy. Well, then they beat the Giants, kick the can down the road. They're a terrible team. They beat the Packers, kick the can down the road. Jordan Love was playing. It wasn't Aaron Rodgers. They smoked the Raiders in Las Vegas, 41-14, to kicked the can down the road because it was... Uh, it was Las Vegas. They, were, they weren't playing the typical defense that had stopped the Chiefs so far this year. Next week, they're playing Dallas, 19-9. The Chiefs get another victory. They're now 7-4. and four. Kick the can down the road because Dallas, they were without some stars. Okay, then the bye week. Feeling decent going into the bye week, but still we think we're still kicking the can down the road. We're just not sure. Next, they play the Broncos. They win 22-9. Uh, once again, not sure because the offense is still looking pedestrian, um, and the Broncos have a terrible offense in their own right. So the Chiefs win that one 22-9. They're 8-4. and four. They're in a good position, but we're still kicking the can down the road. Last Sunday, the Chiefs play the Vegas Raiders in Arrowhead. Chiefs win 48-9. Um, an amazing game. It starts off with Legereus Sneed, or I beg your pardon, Mike Hughes, picking up the fumble, returning it for a touchdown. That starts things off. The Chiefs never look back in a 48-9 route of the Raiders. They're 9-4. and four. All right, what's well, the Raiders once again? They dominated them already, and they still weren't playing the defense that has stopped the Chiefs all year. Kick the can down the road. The can kicking stopped last night in Los Angeles. It stopped last night in Los Angeles. When Travis Kelsey high-stepped it into the end zone with a football in his hand, in overtime, to finish off a comeback that gave the Chiefs a stranglehold on this division, that stopped kicking the can down the road. The Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. Even if they don't wind up with the one seed, they're the best team in the AFC at this moment. They still have three games to go. One's against Pittsburgh, one is at Cincinnati, and the other's at Denver. And they still need some teams to lose in order to get that one seed, but we're not kicking the can down the road anymore, guys. We're not kicking the cannon down in the road anymore. This was the best team in the division aside from the Chiefs. This is their biggest competition to win the AFC West. They beat them 34 to 28. They're down 21 to 13 at one point. They outscored them from there 21 to 7. 
They beat him in overtime. Tap Patrick Mahomes, 31 of 47, three touchdowns and a pick. 105.9 passer rating. Travis Kelsey, 10 receptions, 191 uh, receiving yards, two touchdowns, including the game winner, Tyreek Hill. 12 receptions, 148 yards, and a touchdown. By the way, on a limp foot, they were stretching out his leg toward the end of that game. What you saw last night were three Hall of Famers on the same offense at their prime, at the prime of their career, some of them nearing the end of the prime of their careers, but still in the prime of their careers. Three Hall of Famers performing at the top of their game in a team when in a game when their team and their city needed it the most. The Chiefs now have the edge, the biggest edge you could have at this point in the season, to win their sixth straight division. That's what happened last night. You saw great players make great performances. I was wrong. I thought the Chiefs were going to need Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to have a big performance, and he was good, don't get me wrong, but I thought they need to run a whole bunch because the Chargers' run defense was awful. That wasn't the case. They needed Mahomes to step up. He did. He threw for 400 yards. They needed Travis Kelsey to step up. He did. He he uh, caught for almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. They needed Tyreek Hill to step up. He had almost 150 yards receiving. He had a touchdown himself. The three biggest players on offense stepped up. And this team is once again the ultimate power in the AFC. We have a lot more to talk about uh, between this and the Kansas Jayhawks right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I'm Adam Dravetta, and you can depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. All right, welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Adam Dravetta here flying solo. I hope uh, Derek's enjoying California and his golf tournament back here in the cold weather. We've got uh, Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, on, and... He's uh, what I really want to talk about, Brian, Brian, to start things off is that game last Saturday because that was, I think, about as fun as it could have been. That was an absolute blast, Adam, and thanks for having me on today. Certainly, uh, just to get Mizzou back on the schedule, you knew it was going to be fun with the energy in the building and the anticipation playing them for the first time in a real game in 10 years. And to then have it turn into – uh, a showdown turns into a beatdown of, of that variety. I mean, to win by 37 was the third largest victory margin in the entire series history, a uh, history that includes 270 meetings all time. So uh, to have only two games better in terms of convincing wins in terms of Kansas dominance, and, and those two being 1966 and 1977, when we won by 47 and 44, respectively. And this one could have gotten to that point had they not called off the dogs late. So that was, I think, what most Kansas fans wanted to see was that type of runaway victory, and, and they certainly delivered on it. And to see Christian Brown lead him right out the gate as the son of a former Missouri women's star and a nephew of a former Missouri star, knowing what this rivalry means on the Kansas side of things uh, like he does. That was special. And then a Columbia-Missouri native who's also very familiar with KU versus Mizzou, Dewan Harris, arguably turns in his best game as a Jayhawk. 
And so for all of those reasons, it was really special. And I think while this has been kind of a, an odd week in practice and talking with Coach Self earlier today because of the final schedule that gave the guys a couple of days off and they've had slightly shortened practices since, um, it's, it's still momentum for Kansas. He said that we didn't necessarily get better this week since we haven't played and we've practiced shorter increments here, but they're riding high and they're feeling good about themselves collectively when you have all five starters scoring double figures. Everybody that played scored with one exception. Uh, it's, it's a team with a lot of confidence right now as they welcome in a really talented Stephen F. Austin team. So I want to go back because uh, last week you, you mentioned with Derek and I that your favorite memory personally uh, was your your final game that you called for KJHK and, and there was a moment where um, I forget the name of the Missouri player but he he missed on a dunk and, and Kansas took it down and, and slammed it home and that led to a huge blowout. Um, you know where, where's that? You know where's that rank? I guess now you're you're uh, you're you're getting some money for calling these games that make it a little sweet. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it was Arthur Johnson that, that got hung on the rim and then fell flat on his back after the dunk and miss, and, and Kansas cashing it in on the other side, as you said. Uh, this one certainly ranks right up there. You know, it didn't have the intensity in terms of a back-and-forth, neck-and-neck, coming-down-to-the-wire battle that the exhibition game did five years ago when we did the showdown for relief. Uh, so that game, believe it or not, might have been more fun to call, even though it didn't count for anything, just because it was a seesaw battle. This one, there was pretty much no doubt after the first four minutes. The only thing we were you know, wondering about was, will they get to 100 and how will they get there? And it was actually one of those fun moments. A lot of times we, we throw out kind of flippant predictions that, that may not stick at all. But with about 12 minutes to go, we started talking about, wouldn't it be fitting if Chris Tehan hit the three to put us over 100 because it was on this day 10 years ago that Connor Tehan hit four threes versus Mizzou. And we knew Chris wouldn't get in for enough playing time to get off four shots. But we said, right now they're on pace for like 110. So at some point, if they get to triple digits, which anytime you do that versus Mizzou, that's awesome. Wouldn't it be neat if it was Tehan's little brother, Chris, that was the one that did it. And then we talked about it again at the eight minute mark and the four minute mark. And sure enough, he comes in and drills the three. And so, you know, that, that doesn't stick out in my mind as much as that play you described with Arthur Johnson from back in my college days of calling the games on the student station. But I'll probably remember that three to go to 102 on the night as much as anything from that game because. Nobody had left at that point. Everybody was still engaged, even though it's a 37-point blowout, and they all wanted to see KU hit 100. And sure enough, uh, maybe the most popular guy in the gym this side of Bill Self, the fan favorite, Chris Tehan, delivers. And so that's one that I'll remember for a long, long time. Yeah, that was uh, two of my favorite moments. There was that one, and then I, I'm not sure if you if you went back and watched the TV broadcast or not, but um, they showed Connor after Chris canned that shot, so that was a lot of fun. He was in the crowd. But the other thing, I, I want to go back to what you talk about with, with Christian Brown because another of my favorite moments, I don't know if it was the dunk where he got the feed from Dewan Harris, but on one of his big plays, they showed his mom and that was, if you haven't had a chance, if, if you can find a way to go back and find the broadcast, it was around that moment. And it was fun because, I mean, she was obviously a Tiger, but she was wearing her Jayhawk gear. And she just, 
like his dad, uh, Christian Brown's dad, was kind of having fun and had a big smile on his face, but his mom just had this look of intensity, and you could see, all right, well, that's where his his hyper-competitive, super-intense side comes from because his dad's just enjoying himself taking in a game at Allen Fieldhouse, and his mom couldn't have looked more <laughs> intense if she was on the court. It's funny. I, I haven't seen that, but that makes perfect sense. From what I hear of their post-game conversations and she's a tough coach on him now like she tells it how it is and has constructive criticism in addition to praise you know you've got your your mamas out there that their son could do no wrong and in their eyes win or lose their son was the mvp every game she having played at the highest of collegiate levels you know she lets him know okay nice job but you know you, you looked a little weak dribbling with your left hand trying to attack from this side and, and where was the ball side you know defensive switch back in the second half at the 16 minute mark i mean she's watching a game with a completely different set of lenses on that, that most moms do because she understands it and she's just really in, intense and driven with how great she thinks her son has a chance to be if you know, he looks at it analytically and sometimes critically and, and gets to where, you know, he's he's uh, taking advantage of each opportunity, learning and growing from them. And I love that about her. I, I think it's kind of fun because it's such a contrast from what you're used to. And it's all for his betterment. It's it's not like it's overly critical or anything, but it's it's a different set of eyes than most mamas who their son or daughter can do no wrong. Like, like she's going to break down the film with him afterwards and say, okay, that was good, but what about this, this, and this? And, and I think that's part of why you see him just steadily ascending year in and year out. He's got incrementally better because he's not only getting it from Coach Self and, and the assistants, but also at home as well. So I guess the trick to my career is I'm going to have uh, one Margaret Drovetta listen to my podcast and give me some notes on these things on how I'm doing. Um, so exactly. Now that, you what? I said exactly. Yeah. Um, so now that we've uh, taken a fun little trip back to last week, looking ahead, Stephen F. Austin coming in tomorrow. Um, similar to a lot of uh, a lot of games where you know Jayhawk fans will see it and say, well, they're a team from a one-bid league. But as we all know, since Bill Self has been here. Um, you know, these are these are usually the the teams that you expect to to see contending for their conference title, even though they are a smaller conference. Um, what do we, what do we look at for uh, Stephen F. Austin? Well, they've they've got a lot of scoring balance. They did just lose one of their best players to a, a season-ending knee injury, but this is still a really talented team that, in recent seasons, has gone into some some tough major conference environments and if not gotten the win been very close in in uh, in getting it and so i think kansas is certainly wary of what they'll bring and you know anytime you have a coach like kyle keller who was a bill self assistant for a couple of years here at kansas their relationship goes all the way back to the, the 80s and, and early 90s in, in stillwater uh, he knows self's teams very well. He knows what he's walking into with this environment. And Allen Fieldhouse, he was telling the media earlier this week that this is the number one arena in the country, and he's prepared his guys for it. So uh, that all makes you mindful of, of the fact that, that these guys can come in with enough firepower and defensive intensity to heat us up and, and make life uncomfortable tomorrow night. It's, it's going to be as pressuring of a style as Kansas will face all year. And you'll see a familiar face out there, not only on the sidelines of Kyle Keller, 
But you remember Latrell Chassel from a season ago, yep. young man out of Chicago, finished up in Texas, his prep ball, and uh, you know never really was fully healthy here. And they never thought he was going to play much as a true freshman. They were taking him on as more of a long-term project. And as Self tells the story, Latrell came to him after the season and said, hey, I want to stay. And Coach says, well, we'd love for you to stay. But, you know, what's your realistic expectation? And Latrell said, well, I want to play, like, next season. And Coach said, well, to be honest, you're not going to beat out the one at this point. And and we think we're going to get Remy Martin from Arizona State. He's like, so to be real with you, the minutes are going to be limited. But, you know, we we see value in your future. We think you're going to be great. Uh, You're just probably going to have to wait your turn. And it was a, a very amicable and respectful, you know, do what's best for the kid type departure uh, where they totally understood. He, he just wanted to be able to contribute more immediately. And so he goes to a program that, like you said, will compete for the NCAA tournament. And he's coming off career high 28 where he hit six threes. And so he's, he's the guy you look out for with uh, – you're not a chip on his shoulder or anything like that because there's a ton of respect for these Kansas players and his coach. But at the same time, I think he'll want to come in and put on a show and say, hey, man, you know, I, I, I wish I would have gotten more minutes a year ago, and this is what I can bring. And it, it won't be out of uh, revenge or anything like that, but more just out of you know, self-motivation to prove that, that he can play in the fog and, and play at this level. So that's going to be a fun one to watch tomorrow night as well. Talking with uh, Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on 1320 KLWN and FM 1017. Um, also, tomorrow, in in general, this this time of year seems always really important with Bill Self teams because there have been teams that have just kind of been great from the beginning all through the year, but something about Bill Self coach teams since he's been at Kansas, something happens over Christmas break when the students are off and it's just the team and and we're coming up on that I, I haven't followed I think f- finals are all done for the year and, and this is the first of that kind of usually there's about seven or eight games over Christmas break and and that's what we're leading into does he does he do anything different over those times is it because they have more time together and, and they don't have classes what what's the secret there that something usually happens and they really turn something on? Uh, on the other side of this Christmas break. Yeah, I think all that's accurate, and it's it's primarily because you don't have the responsibilities of schoolwork and the distractions of students being on campus and some of the social opportunities that come with that. It really is just focusing on basketball, hanging out with each other, and for about a month, they're just basically professional basketball players. You know, uh, I guess nowadays with the NIL, they're, they're kind of getting paid for it too. But previously, it would just be like the life of a pro basketball player only without the pay uh, because there is no homework. Uh, there, there are no study hall sessions. It's all practice, games, and, and getting better on the court. And that's why those four weeks of winter break were always such a springboard toward you know being the best you could be. Uh, it's it's usually a stretch, and now that league play starts earlier and earlier these last few years, it's a stretch where you don't quite have your same home atmosphere with some of the students gone uh, for those first couple of, of league games. But uh, other than that, it, it is a great time of year because it is 100% focus on round ball and, and not anything else. And, and while certainly these guys are here to also get their degrees, it, there's no surprise that that's the stretch of the season where guys really round into form, where the rotation really starts to take shape because you do have guys 
starting to solidify roles and, and Bill Self has a better handle on what the team's going to be identity-wise. And so, yeah, I would fully expect that transition and transformation to take place these next four weeks as well. But there's good teams coming in here in the meantime, and there's a good road test next Tuesday night against Tad Boyle's Colorado Buffaloes team. So um, just because we don't have a ranked game coming up here in the next couple of weeks uh, doesn't mean that Kansas won't be tested. So hopefully now that the finals are in the rearview mirror and they're just focusing on ball these next few weeks, we'll really see this team continue to climb. And I asked Coach Self, you know, what are they building upon? on right now where is he seeing this team get better and he said this week is not the week to, to look for progress because of all the the uh, finals he said you know your sleep schedule should be cut in half this week if you're truly studying like we want our guys to we've cut practices down he's like but starting next week uh, once they get back from a, a brief holiday break um you know they really hope to start to see some of that progress that you're alluding to all right, so we're uh, talking about they, they just finished their finals, and, and that means for everybody coming up, there's uh, Christmas time and, and opportunities to buy uh, buy gifts for everybody in your life. And uh, one that I'm going to recommend is a, is a children's book called Game Maker, and we're talking to the author of that one. So, Brian, I know you've got a couple fun events uh, for that book, but if you want to just talk about that book in general and, and what kind of events you have coming up surrounding that book. Well, thanks for the chance to talk about that, Adam. I think uh, a lot of our listeners are familiar. We launched this thing back in September uh, up in Springfield, Massachusetts at the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. And it's been a great fall of promoting the book, but it's it's a fun weekend this weekend because what you might not know is that this month marks the 130th anniversary of the invention of basketball. It was December of 1891 on a, a cold New England afternoon when Dr. Naismith was given the assignment to create a game to be played indoors so that these harsh, brutally cold New England winters won't keep us from keeping our young men in shape at the YMCA Teaching School of, of Springfield, Massachusetts, now Springfield College. And they uh, basically said, come up with whatever you got, but we got to be able to do it indoors, and we need these kids in shape for track season in a few months. So don't let them, you know, sit around in the, the cold winters and, and get slow on us. And so he, he looked around at, at what he had to work with and decided, you know, this, this duck on a rock game I played as a kid where you had to hurl your stones at a larger rock uh, and, and avoid getting tagged when you, when you picked up the misses, kind of like collecting a rebound. He's like, well, what could we do with that on a larger scale? And that's when he found the peach baskets and he nailed them to the balcony wall on each side of the gymnasium, the balcony hung 10 feet tall, which is not so coincidentally the same height as basketball goals today. And, uh, and then he wanted to throw something in them that was soft enough that the players wouldn't get hurt, but still had good form and structure to it. And so he picked a soccer ball. So that first game was a soccer ball with peach baskets that didn't yet have holes in the bottom of them. So every time a basket was made, he had to set up a ladder and climb up on the ladder and fetch the ball out of the bottom of the basket. Then he quickly learned, okay, I'm going to carve a hole at the bottom of the basket and just poke the ball out with the boomstick because that will speed along play. And something else you might not know is that first game, it wasn't five-on-five. It was nine-on-nine because he had 18 young men in the class. He didn't want anybody to have to sit out. This was supposed to be an all-inclusive thing. And so it was nine-on-nine. 
And uh, he, he tried to get him to not rough house, but there was a, one kid that separated his shoulder because they were kind of going rugby style at wow. each other and, and tackling and, and punching in the clinches, as he says in his own words. So he had to write some additional rules to get him to you know, slow down and not foul each other so much. But that's how it all came together. And the book Game Maker takes you back even before that day in December of 1891, all the way back to his childhood in Canada, where he grew up working on a farm, and he would invent games to speed along the workday when they were binding up sheaves of wheat. And uh, he would throw a, a sheaf of wheat once he bound it about 20 feet up in the air. And as it was falling back down, he'd quickly try to bind up the next one and then catch the one in his left hand that he'd just thrown up in the air after binding up the next one in his right hand. And that might sound silly, but I don't know, you know what your family did in putting you to work when you were a kid. But I always had rake leaves in the front and backyard. It was a pain in the butt for eight hours on a Sunday. So, of course, I'd come up with games to try to, like, speed it along and get my mind off of it. And that's yeah, basically yeah. what he did when he was eight years old. Difference is that kind of was a brainchild to get his creative mind going that 20 years later would lead to the invention of basketball. And 45 years after that, as the book chronicles, here he is as an old man watching this sport of basketball being played on the Olympic stage in Berlin, Germany, which, by the way, the first gold medal game was played outside on dirt. It was raining, so there was mud on the court as they're playing America versus Canada, his homeland. And here he is, an old man, watching this invention played globally now. Just imagine how proud he must have been on that day. So the book kind of covers all of that. It's meant to inspire young kids to be creative, be imaginative, but also feel like if you put your mind to it, you can grow up to do huge things just like Dr. Naismith did. Maybe you, too, could grow up to change the world. So that's the theme of the book. And what makes this weekend so special is Dr. Naismith's last living grandson, Jim Naismith, is coming to town with his lovely wife, Beverly. They're in their 80s. They're the sweetest little couple. And he looks just like his granddad. He talks just like his granddad. He has the same heart and character and integrity of his granddad. Dr. Naismith never invented basketball to get rich or get famous. He got famous. He never really got rich off the sport. I'm not sure what he would think of NIL and these billion-dollar yeah. NBA franchises and $100 million deals players have. I don't know. I don't know if he'd like that, to be honest. But I think he would love the fact that his invention has created opportunities for higher education for men and women at the collegiate level, Division One through Division Three, you know, it's, it's created job opportunities for thousands and thousands of coaches and trainers and all of that. That would make him so happy because he invented this game for the sake of fellowship, for the sake of physical fitness, and just you know, giving young people, boys and girls, you know, a chance to be together collectively and and have that opportunity to to work out and have fun and, and better themselves. In fact, he famously once told Fog Allen, you don't win basketball games, you just play basketball. Sometimes we just play. And, and Fogg saw it very differently. Fogg saw it as a sport. You compete to win and you, know, you devise plays and game planning and scheming to be the best you can be. 
for Dr. Naismith, this was just a this was just a fun game to be physically fit and be together, and, and that was the difference between those two. Is obviously you know, Dr. Naismith is, is the one guy that didn't have a winning record at Kansas. Not that he was a losing coach uh, in big ways; he still had a forty eight percent winning percentage. But Fog Allen comes in and wins five hundred ninety games over the course of three plus decades, and hangs multiple national title banners with the two Helms Foundation titles and then a 1952 national championship from the NCAA, and now is our winningest coach, at least for a couple of more years until self passes him. So it's an interesting contrast between those two. The father of basketball, who just did it for the sake of fellowship and sportsmanship, and this was an assignment he got at Springfield's YMCA 130 years ago, Versus the father of basketball coaching, who then took this game, this sport, and made it into, you know, what we now know it as, as Kansas being one of the five blue blood schools with the most illustrious history you'll find. And from Fog Allen spawned off the, the Kentucky program with Adolph Rupp, who studied under Fog, the Carolina program with Dean Smith, who played for him on that 1952 title team. It's just amazing what it's become. But it all began with a couple of peach baskets, a soccer ball, and 18 young men at that YMCA developmental school in Springfield, Massachusetts, 130 years ago this month. And that's the story we're going to tell to some Boys and Girls Club kids in Kansas City later today at the Rally House at Oak Park Mall there. We'll be out there until 6 o'clock tonight. And then we'll be uh, signing books and, and telling stories tomorrow and the second floor rally house location of Allen Field House during pregame from 5:30 to 6:30. So we look forward to that as well. But appreciate the chance to talk about that. Uh, you know, whether you buy a book or not, I, I'm proud of the fact that this does tell the story of who Naismith was as a kid, as as a inventor, but also his legacy of just paying it forward to future generations. I genuinely believe the book captures the way he wants his story told, and hopefully it'll inspire a lot of kids along the way, because that, after all, is what Dr. Naismith was all about, inspiring future generations. So hopefully Game Maker does just that. Well, you know, I, as, as fans of Kansas, we obviously couldn't be prouder that, that the, you know, the father of the sport was our, our very first coach, but, you know, I, I think it's really cool that, you know, you're – and I know that the job you currently have, Brian, was a dream job of yours. But you're really you're, you've you've jumped in with two feet, and 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 you're embracing everything about this. And and you're, um, I just think you're, you're you know you're doing a lot. You're going so far beyond just the play-by-play. You're embracing so much of the culture of the game of basketball, the University of Kansas, and and this is just another um, another feather in the cap of you expressing your love for for the sport and your love for KU. Well, that's so kind of you to say, Adam. I appreciate that. We're certainly blessed to get to tell the stories of, of some of these great student-athletes and coaches that I think the most tradition-rich program in the country, and a huge part of that tradition was the game's creation that didn't happen here, but, but seven years after it happened, you know, this became home for basketball. This is why the rules reside here, because Naismith made this his home. He's buried just on the east side of town, about two miles from campus, and his rules will forever be here at Allen Fieldhouse where they rightfully belong. So we're so proud of that amazing tradition, and I hope fans will take advantage of this opportunity to meet Jim Naismith, 
tomorrow night before the game. And if you're listening and on your way back home to Kansas City, if you're a commuter, stop by until 6 o'clock tonight at the Rally House there across from Oak Park Mall. We'd love to have you meet Jim and hear about this amazing legacy his grandfather created that certainly sparked our proud tradition of Kansas basketball. Outstanding. I hope you get a great turnout. I hope you have a great call tomorrow night, Brian, and uh, thanks again so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Adam. Always a pleasure, buddy. Enjoying to get to know you here these last few months. Keep up the great work, and thanks again to my friend Nate Miller at the Miller Retirement Group for sponsoring these reports each and every week. Just like the Hawks need a game plan for their next opponent, you need a game plan for your retirement. So start by calling my buddy Nate Miller at the Miller Retirement Group today, 844-401-4012. That's 844-401-4012. Thanks, Adam. Have a great weekend. All right, and run that disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. Hey, welcome in as we begin hour number two of Adam Flying Solo, uh, hosting Rock Chalk Sports Talk here. On a Friday afternoon, it's uh, 5 after 4. Uh, Derek is out. He'll be out today as well as Monday. Uh, don't worry, he'll be back Tuesday. Uh, we plan on that. A uh, quick programming note. I mentioned this earlier, but I do want to make sure to uh, mention it uh, as a few times so people know. Um, we were supposed to be carrying the girls' uh, basketball game from Free State and Shawnee Mission Northwest tonight. That was going to start at around 5.15 and then the boys at 7 p.m. Uh, the girls uh, has been postponed. The girls game has been postponed until January. That will not be played tonight. Um, was not given a reason why, and I would it would be irresponsible of me to speculate on any reasons as to why. Um, All we know is the girls game is not being played tonight, and they are still having the boys game. So Rock Chalk Sports Talk will be with you till 6 tonight. Initially, we we're going to get out at uh, 5.15. But, oh, darn, I've got to work a little later. Woe is me. Um, and then after that, uh, we'll do a little best of. And then at 6.30, Sam Speck and uh, Craig Hershiser will have the call uh, from Free State High School. So, again, no girls game tonight. Uh, however, the boys will still be playing. Uh, and they tip off at 7 p.m., pregame at 6.30 between the Free State Firebirds and the Shawnee Mission Northwest Cougars. Uh, that's right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Also want to give a, a shout-out. Uh, this is um, something I wish I didn't have to say, but I, it's it's just a, 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 a sucky thing. But I, I want to give a shout-out uh, and, and well wishes to uh, Blair Kirkhoff. Uh, any subscribers to the Kansas City Star know exactly who he is. His primary beat is college and in an area like Kansas City that has uh, three very rabid fan base, college fan bases. Um, he is perfect for that job, um, and, you know, and, and he does a great job covering uh, all three local schools regardless of the sport. Uh, he's also spent plenty of time covering the Chiefs, covering the Royals. Uh, if you've read the Kansas City Star Sports Department, you've read Blair Kirkhoff. Uh, it was announced the other day... Uh, Sadly, uh, Blair is dealing with uh, leukemia. Um, I don't know a bunch of the the details on that, um, but you know, if you want to get on Twitter and wish him well, I know I, I you know I'm sure he would appreciate it. I, I 
I don't, I've, I've met him through the business a couple times, but, um, you know, I, I don't know him particularly well, but other than he's, he's wonderful to work with. He's, he's a great guy. Um, he, he was really was, was good to me when I was, um, an intern. Um, so Blair, um, don't know if you listen to rock chalk sports talk, but I'm thinking of you, buddy. Uh, I know a ton of people are, and, um, you know, I, I, there's, there's going to come a day where, uh, that you're going to be told everything's good and you're good to go. And I'm really excited for that day as much as this sucks. Um, that day where you're told, Hey, everything looks good. Uh, that that's a day to celebrate. So Blair, we're, we're wishing you well. Um, you've got tons of support, tons of fans, and I am one of them. Uh, we're going to move on now to talk about, uh, continue to talk about the chiefs. I'm going to talk about them on a, on a larger scale. Um, the performances over the years, specifically under the, the Andy Reid era, there is this turnaround I always come back to every year the, the, of the Chiefs, uh, especially in the years when they have success, which they've had plenty of um, really since Andy Reid has been here. They've only missed the playoffs once, and, and in that year they only missed it by one game going 9-7. and seven. And so he's you know he's been a tremendous coach. Um but the, I, I, I fixate a lot on one day in, in Andy Reid's tenure. That was October 25th, 2015. And at that point, the Chiefs were 1-5. And, and that was the 2015 season. A lot of people weren't paying close attention uh, because that was the year the Royals were gunning for a world championship. And, and that was in the midst of their playoff run. Um, by then, actually, it might have been during... The World Series, October twenty fifth. I can't remember the exact dates of all those uh, of all those playoffs uh, and, and when the playoff series were. Nonetheless, it was a huge, huge time uh, to be a Royals fan, and, and so a lot of the Chiefs, you know, because they were doing poorly, a lot of people were losing attention uh, toward the Chiefs. Andy Reid came in after the twenty twelve season. The team was really bad. They went two and fourteen. They had the number one overall pick. And Clark Hunt got on a plane, by all accounts, beat the Arizona Cardinals to Philly, and got Andy Reid, got a meeting with Reid first, made his pitch, um, and and got him. And uh, that's a huge credit to Clark Hunt, the chairman and CEO of the Chiefs. Uh, they, you know, he left the the Arizona Cardinals plane was sitting on the runway. And Andy Reid said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm going to Kansas City. That's a big get because Andy Reid could have named his team and his price at that time. He had just come off a 4-12 and season with the Eagles, but everybody felt that no matter where he went next, it would be a successful tenure because they just Philly, Philly needed a change, he needed a change, and that turned out to be correct. Philly's won a Super Bowl since he's been gone, and he's won a Super Bowl since he's left Philly. So it was an amicable, amicable breakup. But uh, Reed was still a very popular commodity. So he comes into Kansas City. They're going 9-0, and and they finish 11-5. and We all remember how that season ends. Um, they've got a 28-point lead in the second half against the um, Colts in Indianapolis. Andrew Luck, an amazing comeback. Uh, the fumble, he picks it up. He takes it into the end zone. All of that, and the Chiefs lose 45-44 to uh, in infuriating fashion. Um, I hated that weekend. That the next day, by the way, the the uh, Jayhawks lost to San Diego State uh, in Allen Fieldhouse. So, you know, I, I just it was all just a, an infuriating weekend, a terrible way to lose.
But in general, you're, you're kind of optimistic. You're like, well, we went 2-14 and 14 last year. We went 11-5 and five this year made the playoffs. So things are in a good spot. The next year, the Chiefs go 9-7. and seven. They barely miss the playoffs. Bummer. But there's still quite a bit of anticipation going into 2015. Again, some of that anticipation is a little bit uh, skirted, a little bit dulled, because the Kansas City Royals led the division in 2015 pillar to post. Um, and, and so people were thinking, all right, can this team make a repeat trip to the World Series, which of course they did, this time finishing off the Mets and winning the whole thing. But there was still excitement surrounding the Chiefs heading into 2015. They start the year with a victory over the Houston Texans in Houston. It was 27-20. Then Denver comes to town with Peyton Manning. The Chiefs are leading for most of the game. It's 20-13. Peyton Manning leads Denver on a scoring drive with a few seconds left. They tie it up 20-all. We're thinking, okay, overtime, that's kind of a bummer. And then Jamal Charles fumbles the football. And it is then picked up by Shane Ray, maybe? I can't remember exactly who picked that ball up, but Denver recovered it, returned it for a touchdown. The Broncos went from trailing by 14 with about three minutes left to winning that thing and over in, in regulation. Infuriating. Chiefs are one and one at that point. I'm working at a different radio station. I'm producing the uh, post game. The general rule at that time for the Chiefs was uh, for the Chiefs post game was we go until the calls stop coming in. That game ended at about 10:30. The phone lines were still full at 1.30 in the morning, so finally the guy hosting it was like, we can't just keep taking calls all night. So we took the last five calls, we zeroed out and, and busied out the phone lines, and uh, that was that. We got out of there about 2 o'clock in the morning and with you know listening to a lot of angry fans. The Chiefs then went on to drop their next four. They lost to the Packers in Green Bay. They lost to the Bengals in Cincinnati. They lost to the Bears at home. They went to Minnesota, and they lost to the Vikings. One and five, October 25th. They're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that they'd struggled against. The team was one and five. Two years ago, they made the playoffs. They blew a late lead and didn't even win a playoff game. The next year, they didn't even make the playoffs. And this year, at 2015, they're sitting at one and five, seemingly steamrolling toward a number one overall pick once again. And we're all thinking, Reed's not going to get fired this year, but this is starting to look hazy. Uh, and what happens? They beat the Steelers. Okay, cool. Beat the Steelers by 10. They had a backup quarterback that day. The next week, they go to London. They trounce the Lions 45-10, to 10, and then it's on. They finished the game. They finished the year on a ten-game winning streak, becoming either the first or the second team ever to make the playoffs after starting a year one and five. They go to Houston to play the Texans uh, in the wild card game, and you know what? They finally broke their playoff winning drought. They had not won a game in the playoffs since 1994. This was 2016. They beat the Texans 30 to nothing. They go to New England the next week. They put up a fight against the Patriots. Uh, Patriots wound up winning that game, however, um, and going on to win the uh, Super Bowl. I know, I be, uh, beg your pardon, they lost to the Broncos in the AFC Championship. Broncos won the Super Bowl they, that year. Nonetheless, the Chiefs started 1-5. They finished on a 10-game winning streak, made that an 11-game winning streak with their first game in the playoffs. Since that 1-5 start, this is what the Chiefs did. They went 11-1 to finish off that year. They went 12-5. This is all including playoffs. 
They went 12 and 5 the next year. They went 10 and 7 in 2017. They went 13 and 5 the following year. They went 15 and 4 the year after that, winning, by the way, the world championship along the way. The next year, that was last year, they go 16 and 3 and finish as the runner up in the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, a lot of us kind of wonder what would have happened in that game. You know, you don't want to take anything away from the Buccaneers, but you, you kind of wonder what would have happened in that game. Uh, had the Chiefs had a healthy offensive line, whatever. They didn't. It, it, they came up short. They lost the Super Bowl. That sucked, but they still won back-to-back -back AFC title games. This year, they're 10-4. and four. They're leading the division, um, barring some major collapse. I, 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 I feel comfortable saying right now it would be a massive disappointment if the Chiefs do not win the division this year. Uh, they're up by two games with three to go. I, I feel safe saying it would be a colossal disappointment if the Chiefs do not win the division this year. They are 10-4 and four right now. Since Andy Reid, Andy Reid, his first year, goes 11-5. and five, They lose in the first round of the playoffs. Andy Reid, his second year, goes 9-7. and seven. Andy Reid, his third year with the Chiefs, starts 1-5. and five. And since then, Andy Reid is 87-29, and 29, including the playoffs. That includes three trips to the AFC Championship game. That includes two trips to the AFC Divisional Round. No, uh, beg your pardon. Two more trips, so five total trips to the AFC Divisional Round. Two trips to the Super Bowl. They had never won the Lamar Hunt Trophy. They won the AFL back when it was called the AFL. But since the winner of the AFC had been given the Lamar Hunt Trophy, the Chiefs had never won it. They had never won the trophy that was named after the guy that founded their franchise. They've won it twice since the Chiefs were 1-5 in, in October of 2015. Andy Reid, once again, since then, 87-29. and 29. That has spanned the Alex Smith era. That has spanned the Patrick Mahomes era. He has gotten them to three AFC title games, all of which they've hosted. They've won two of them. They've won one of those Super Bowls, and they could very well host another AFC title game this year. They could get the one seed this year. Uh, some things still have to break their way. They're looking up right now at the Titans, uh, who, by the way, still may get Derrick Henry back this year. Who's would be, uh, he's a great player. Um, it, it, I, I, I don't like rooting for injuries, so I don't care that it would been or that it would um, benefit the Chiefs if he stays out. I hope Derrick Henry comes back. I don't like players missing time because of injury. Um, Chiefs are also looking up at the Patriots. I'm not afraid of either of those. Uh, the Titans mashed the Chiefs earlier this year. I'm not afraid of either of those teams. Uh, especially if you get them in Kansas City. So I wanted to bring that up because the, the Chiefs were under in the Andy Reid era. I mean, we look back on the Pioli time, uh, again, you know, with Todd Haley, they won the one division in 2010, but other than that, they were pretty bad. The one year with Romeo Cornell as the full-time coach, they were hideous. They went 2-14. and 14. Uh, They got the number one overall pick. Um, of course, there's a great deal of off-the-field tragedy that year. Um and so we, we have all these moments that we can look back on under the Pioli era, but the Chiefs were bad. Well, not bad. They were they were playing very bad football in the Andy Reid era. They were 1-5 in, in 2015, looking like they were going to miss uh, the playoffs for the second straight year, looking like they were going to get a top 10, maybe even a top 5 pick for the second time in four years. Um, things were looking bleak in the Andy Reid era. And I kept trying to remind myself of that this year when the Chiefs were sitting at 3-4, and four, and I kept saying, 
you know, they just they skirted past a backup quarterback in the Pittsburgh's with the Pittsburgh Steelers um in twenty fifteen. They blew out the Lions and that kick started everything. And just give give me something. Give me something to look at. And here it was. And and now they're on a seven game winning streak. And as I said in the open, you're not taking this this one, you're you're done kicking the can down the road. You know, the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the AFC right now, and so he's done it again. Andy Reid's done it again with a different crop of players. He had a totally different group of players. Who was on that team in 2015 that's still here? Travis Kelsey? Is that it? I think Suckup was the kicker, maybe Cairo Santos. Um, James Winchester, he's a different long snapper. I'm trying to think of the players that have staying power. Travis Kelsey was still here, so, okay, he's he's another one. Is that it? Was Tyreek Hill returning punts at that point, or was he even on the team? I think he was drafted that next draft. So it's an entirely different quarterback, an entirely different crop of players, and Andy Reid has done it once again, put on, you know, gone from, whoa, this team's on the hairy edge of missing the playoffs to, whoa, this team's one of the teams you don't want to meet in the AFC playoffs. That's credit to him and and, and credit to how he is with his coaches and his players um, that they, they just keep pushing forward. They don't think about what just happened. Uh, they just keep going. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm fascinated with that with the mindset that this that his that he's able to have his teams, um, you know, d- cultivate. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and I think Chiefs fans are very lucky to have a guy like Andy Reid here. He's not infallible. He's not immune to mistakes, and he's worthy of criticism sometimes. But you can't criticize somebody without praising them when when praise is due. And praise is due with Andy Reid far more often than criticism. And I, I just this is twice now. This is twice now that. Uh, he's had that they've had slow starts, making people go, "What is happening? Is this team going to make the miss the playoffs?" To, oh my gosh, we're one of the best teams in the AFC. I'm Adam Dravetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to be back. Uh, we got some game picks coming up. We got to hear from Bill Self a little later. He met with the media today. We got all sorts of fun things still on the docket for you. I'm Adam Dravetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Moving right along, it's uh, almost half past four, uh, which means we're almost halfway through this show, and that means you are another step closer to the weekend. It's kind of nice. Uh, I don't love Thursday night games, uh, and it's probably a lot easier for me to say this after a victory last night for the Chiefs. Um, but you know, now you don't have the stress. We don't have the stress. Isn't that great? Um, I'm happy about it anyway. Uh. So, you know, feeling good, and I don't have to think, boy, you know, Sunday, Chiefs going to win, what's going to happen? I can kind of just enjoy everything. So, uh, at least there's that. Um, We should all be grateful for that. Let's move on real quick to uh, some KU football. Um, We talked about signing day the other day, and 
Lance Leipold's uh, comments were rather brief, and that's because there's only he could only talk about the KU signees. He can't yet talk about uh, the transfer pro- portal. Um, but the the Jayhawks only had three or seven, I beg your pardon, seven high school uh, players sign on this signing day. Late signing day, of course, is coming up in February. Um, but the reason I want to make sure to bring this up is is because um, they've got a ton of great players from the transfer portal, including, what, three or four from the Big Ten? It's, it's really, really good. So I was made aware by Derek. Shout out to Derek. He's still doing his job. Uh, despite being on vacation, so commend him for that. Michael Swain wrote this on um, 247 Sports, uh, and the title is KU Football is one of the top incoming transfer classes in the country, and that's really awesome. Uh, They've landed five transfers uh, in the recently unveiled 247 team transfer rating. So you go to these team rankings, uh, a lot of their team rankings where the Jayhawks are probably close to last in the uh, Big 12. If, if, they, if I think they are right at 10th in the Big 12. Um, and they are, so they're last in the Big 12. They're somewhere around like 80th or 90th in the country. Those only count for the um, uh, high school players. The Jayhawks, according to the 247 Transfer portal rankings, Kansas is fifth in the nation, the entire country. Uh, They trail uh, Michigan State. uh, Oh, no, uh, South Florida, they're number one. Michigan State is second. Uh, By the way, KU got a player from Michigan State. Indiana's third. Louisville's fourth. Or, as they say uh, in Louisville, whole. and KU sits there at fifth, so they're a top five nationally in terms of the uh, in terms of the the recruiting rankings when it comes to the transfer portal. That's a huge deal, and I, the reason I think that's a huge deal is because those are the players that can impact things immediately. Jesse Newell uh, said he, he's kind of said all along, you know, next year still you're, you're looking at probable rebuilding, uh, which I get, but you're also you know, the, as this thing goes on, Jesse said that he's not shying away from the possibility, and I agree with him, uh, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, so he's not, this isn't a, a prediction he's made, but he's not shying away from the possibility that the Jayhawk football team could be contending for a bowl game uh, in year three of the Lance Leipold era. That would be 2023, right? Yeah. And that would that would be on track with what Leipold did his uh, first his stint at Buffalo. Um, they had a decent year his first year. They actually took a step back his second year because he lost, I think, a lot of seniors. They only went two and ten his second year, but by his third year, they were really humming, and he had things going. And we went over that the other day on Rock Chalk Sports Talk that his high his high school recruiting classes were not that great, but this transfer portal opened something up so different. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure a lot of you do by now, but for those who don't, uh, it used to be under college rules, you could transfer, but in order to transfer, you had to sit out for a year. You had to redshirt for a year at your new school. The only way to avoid this is if there was some sort of uh, family hardship waiver uh, that you were coming back home. So if, if you you know if you went to college away from home and there was some sort of tragedy in your family, 
and you wanted to transfer back for the purpose of, of playing at a college that's closer to your home, the NCAA had the power to grant you a waiver to come back to transfer without uh, having to sit. And that's gone. You can you have one time where you can transfer with no penalty, with no red shirt. You just come in and you and you start playing, and that matters now, especially for programs like KU, and it's going to matter to big programs too. I I, I uh, to expand on this, I I don't think we're ever going to see an All American anymore from a place like North Texas, or a place like Tulsa, or an All American. Maybe or it's certainly not a first team All American from a place from you know like Southern Mississippi um, or Liberty. You're not you know you're going to see less and less of those, and the reason I think that is because um, those players are going to go from they're going to go in the portal and Alabama or Clemson, and I think the same thing's going to happen in basketball too because basketball has the same rule. Um, so your blue bloods are going to look at these players and say, well, we had an eye on him in high school, but we never made him an offer. And between his freshman, sophomore years, he's really become strong. He's grown another two or three inches. Let's make him an offer. And he goes, great, I can get playing time in Alabama. This is it. I'm moving. So that's that's going to change things. But Leipold, and Derek talked about this yesterday, it's a huge deal that Leipold is embracing this because he, you know, he's seeing the benefits of, what this transfer portal can be. And, and you can either gripe about it or you can actually use it to your advantage. And so far, it seems like Lance Leipold is using it to his advantage. Next signing day isn't until uh, February. But, you know, this is a great way, guys, for KU to get beyond that. You know, they're in such a rut and su- such a hole because Charlie Weiss Brought in so many, you know, he ran off a heap of players to start his time at KU. And KU was so behind the eight ball. And then on top of that, uh, with with regards to transfer uh, scholarship players, they were only allowed to have 85. Uh, that's the max for any school. But the Jayhawks were in the 50s. And they were behind the eight ball, behind the eight ball. And you could only add 25 a year. So you, you could never really lose many more. Or you could never really replace many more than you lost. There was the gray shirt possibility, so they had some ways they were working toward it, but this changes everything. This transfer portal really changes everything, and you get guys who have been in college for a couple of years. They've been in college strength and conditioning programs for a couple of years. They've been you know, learning what it's like to play college football for a number of years, and KU right now is offering playing time. They're saying, hey, we know you, you, you demonstrated a lot at Ohio State, but there's guys in front of you why don't you come play at Kansas? Um, I, I just I, I can't stop really enjoying the direction Lance Leipold is taking this program. As soon as everything went down last spring, you know I hate the way it went down um, with Lance or with uh, Les Miles, um, and, and the things that uh, women allegedly had to deal with at LSU. Um, I hate that. I wish I wish nobody ever had to deal with th- things like that, but. Just in terms purely, since this is a sports show, and in terms of how it, it is with sports, as soon as the Les Miles news came down, it became more and more evident over the course of that week earlier this year that the Jayhawk football team was going to have to make a change. Um, my first thought was hire Lance Leipold. Because if they let Lance Leipold coach at Buffalo through this fall, he was going to go to another college after this season. So it's not ideal to have to hire a coach in March or April. 
but I think it was one of the only ways they were going to get a coach as quality as Lance Leipold, and so far he's proven to be exactly that. I mean, he went 2-10 and 10 this year, uh, but when the pundits only pick you to win one game, when you win two, you're out You're out doing what, uh, what a lot of analysts and a lot of pundits who put their money on this think you're going to do, and that's a good thing. So I, I, you know, I, I liked what I saw at KU football this year, and I like what I'm seeing on the recruiting trail as time goes on. They're still going to have to develop some guys. They're not going to get five-star kids. You're never going to see KU. I don't want to say never because I, I thought you never would have seen KU in an Orange Bowl at one point in my life, and, and sure enough, that happened. But you you almost likely will never see KU uh, in, you know, come springtime on signing day, top 10 in the nation in the recruiting class. That probably will not happen. But if they can regularly get in the top 50s, bring in a bunch of quality transfers, and find some diamonds in the rough, what I've talked about a lot before, what Mark Mangino has said before on the air, what he did was he would have you would find athletes who were you know athletic enough to play at this level, but maybe weren't great because they played both ways in high school, so the offensive coaches would say, well, yeah, but he's not a perfect wide receiver. And the defensive coaches go, yeah, but we don't really have a position for him because he's not great as a cornerback. And Mangino would just say, well, look, guys, I'm pulling rank and we're offering this kid a scholarship because he's a good enough athlete to play Big 12 football and we need to be good enough at our jobs to teach him how to settle down at one position. And, you know, you saw you saw the results they got uh, from that. So I don't know that you need to see a school like KU be top, 20 top 15 top 10 in the in the recruiting rankings i think if you have coaches who uh can develop talent uh and you find some diamonds in the rough some guys that you know he's only you know six foot one but you look at his dad and his dad's six foot four and you think all right maybe there's a growth spurt coming on in college you find guys like that and good things will happen to your program and so i'm excited between the transfers between signing day um Everything's going on. I, I just it's so weird to say after a two and ten season, but I love the direction that this KU football team is headed in, and I haven't been able to say that really for a long, long time. Gonna do some game picks on the other side of this break. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on thirteen twenty KLWN and FM one oh one seven. I'm Adam Dravetta. Depend on it. All right, a good – I don't think it's evening yet. I, I declare evening at 5 p.m. So I'm still saying good afternoon for the next 19 minutes or so. I'm Adam Dravetta, and I'm taking you right up to 6 o'clock. Uh, real quick, uh, we were supposed to have the girls' basketball game, Free State High School versus Shawnee Mission North. That has been postponed. Uh, that has been postponed till January. Uh, they, we still will be broadcasting the boys' game. So Rock Chalk Sports Talk going all the way up to 6 Around about 6.30, Sam Speck and Craig Hershiser will cut in. Uh, they'll bring you the boys game, also between Free State and Shawnee Mission North. Last I heard, that one is still on. If I hear differently, I'll let you know. Um, so, yeah, just a quick programming note. Uh, you get to spend more time with me. Um, I, would, uh, I wouldn't I would be happy if I were you, but uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be with you, so hopefully you are happy to be with me. Um, I actually am not that self-deprecating. I just think people uh, find it charming. And if I compliment too much myself too much, uh, people may come to hate me. Let's move on to some game picks. Uh, there's football this weekend. There's bowls. I love bowl season. When I was a kid, I had a whiteboard in my basement, 
And every spring, I would draw up the NCAA tournament bracket on it. And in the winter, around around Christmas time, one of the very first things I would do uh, to begin Christmas break is write up all the bowl games and the teams and the matchups and fill in the scores as they went. I love bowl week, and I don't even gamble. Gamblers really love bowl week. I love college football bowls. I don't care if people say, oh, they don't have any meaning aside from the national championship. I love bowl games, and we'll be picking some right here on the uh, on the show. So let's get to it. All right, starting off, uh, I am 64 and 40, 64, 40, and two overall. Derek is 74, 65, and two overall. He has given me his picks. I will be honest and uh, and say them uh, with with complete integrity because uh, he's going to listen. This will be in the podcast. So he'll hear if I uh, say them wrong. Um, oh, in college last week, there was only one game, and that was Army-Navy. I was wrong. Derek was right. I went 0-1 in college last week. Derek went 1-0. Overall in college, I am 31-19-1. Derek is 34-36-1. How about Appalachian State versus Western Kentucky? Um, this is fun. This should be a very high-scoring game. At one point, Western Kentucky had the, one of the most potent offenses in the country. I can't remember their uh, their head coach's name, but I believe uh, he was a disciple of um, Hal Mummy and the Air Raid. Um, so I, I, that that could be a lot of fun. I, I you know I, I I can't say I have a huge scout on this. Oh, Appalachian State, by the way, is, is favored by three. Um, Derek's chosen Appalachian State. I'm going to do that as well. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. This is more of a program pick uh, than anything because, you know, Appalachian State, we're used to, even though it was, what, maybe it's been 10 years or so since they moved on uh, to the FBS level, so they haven't been playing at this level of football for long. But they're in the Sun Belt. They're a really good football program as a whole, which means their players have been in this situation a lot more. So, yeah, give me the App State Mountaineers uh, to move on, or not to move on, but to win their bowl game. Next up, UTEP versus Fresno State. I have a friend who lives in Fresno. Uh, She did not go to Fresno State, but um, she discusses the Bulldogs somewhat. Uh, Pat Dye was their coach once. Or, no, Pat Dye. uh, um, Beg your pardon. Pat Dye was the Auburn coach. Pat um, Smith, maybe? Nonetheless, the most successful football coach in the history of Fresno State football was hired by a man named Al Bull. Some of you people may be uh, familiar with him. Al Bull was once the AD at KU. Um, Al Bull hired Fresno State's most successful football coach ever. He hired Nick Saban at Toledo to begin his head coaching career. He hired Gary Pinkle at Toledo, who was also successful at Toledo before moving on to Missouri. And then at KU, Al Bull hired Mark Mangino. Those are four really, really damn good football hires. So uh, anyway, that's one thing I know about Fresno State. That and they used to spend a lot of time in the Silicon Valley Classic back, back when that was a bowl game in the late 90s, early 2000s. UTEP, the Miners, they're taking on Fresno State. Fresno State's favored by 11.5. I think bowl games get a little sloppy, so there are not a ton of points scored in them. Uh, so for that reason, I just 11 is going to be tough to um, to cover because it's just a, such a large percentage of the points themselves. So for that reason, uh, give, me the, um, give me the UTEP Miners. Uh, Derek is picking Fresno State, so we're different on that one. 
The Blazers of UAB, who had their football program shut down a couple years ago and now is back, uh, they're in a bowl game, and they're taking on the Brigham Young Cougars. BYU is favored by a touchdown. Uh, BYU is also the first ranked game on our list, a ranked team on our list. Uh, BYU is favored by seven. I'm giving BYU all day. Uh, BYU is really good. They score a lot. Um, they've shown their ability to beat big teams this year, um, and I think they're just a flat, much better team than uh, UAB. Um, I think they're also the best chance for UAB is BYU might be disinterested because they're ranked so high and they're not necessarily in a prestigious bowl. I, I still think BYU has so much talent. They get it done. I give. I, I think they could. I would probably pick BYU even if the spread was 10. So certainly I'm going to pick it at 7. Uh, Utah State, the Aggies playing Oregon State. You know what bowl that is? That's the Jimmy Kimmel Las Vegas Bowl. That's the first bowl ever be, to be named after a single human being. And that depresses me because for years and years, I've said, uh, if I won the lottery, not just like the $2 million one, but one of them big Haas lotteries that are like, you know, $500 million, uh, I was going to take that money and use it to have my own bowl game at Arrowhead Stadium, call it the Adam Drovetta Bowl, and it would have been so much fun. Derek actually designed the field for it. Uh, It's deep buried somewhere deep in the bowels of my Twitter account from years and years ago. It was just a football field and my big fat head painted on the uh, 50, uh, round about the 50 yard line. So the Adam Dravetta Bowl might still happen, but if it does, it will not be the first bowl to be named after a person. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Los Angeles Bowl. Utah State taking on Oregon State. The Beavers are laying a touchdown. I'm actually going Utah State in this one. Um, I... uh, Oregon State has as surprise. I mean, they're they're a lot like KU. Nobody expects them to ever be particularly good, but good for them. They made a, a bowl game. They certainly had a tougher road. The Pac-12 was was not an easy schedule this year, um, but it also wasn't overly daunting. And I just I, I like the Aggies to stay within a touchdown. Um, let's see. That is the second to last one. Uh, Louisiana versus Marshall. We've got another ranked team. Louisiana is ranked. 23rd in the country, and they're laying five against the Thundering Herd. Um, I should note, uh, Fresno. Derek had Fresno State in that game against UTEP, and Derek had BYU in that bowl between BYU and UAB, and Derek had Oregon State uh, in the uh, Los Angeles Bowl. I didn't note. I didn't uh, make. I'm getting. I'm sorry, Derek. Uh, I uh, didn't mention you. He hosts the show. He's my boss. Um, sorry about that. But anyway. So those were his picks. Um, he picks Fresno State over UTEP. I do as well. Um, he picks BYU over UAB. I do as well. And um, Utah State, he picks Oregon State. I actually went ahead and picked um, I picked Utah State. He picked Oregon State. So uh, next college game, Louisiana State versus Marshall. Louisiana is ranked 23rd in the nation. They're laying five points. Um, against the Thundering Herd and uh, Derek he's taking Louisiana I'm going to take Louisiana as well I I, I just I think they're really good again uh, you run into the possibility of them um, maybe not taking Marshall seriously that is entirely possible Marshall's a good football program uh, they're not, you know, they're not strangers to a bowl, and they they jumped up from the one. It used to be called one double A, now it's called FCS. 
they won a national championship at that level in the mid to late 90s uh, and have since jumped up. And, and they're no strangers to Bulls, uh, but I do think Louisiana, they did lose their coach. I have not yet read whether or not they will be uh, keeping their coach uh, for the bowl game or if he'll be moving right on to Florida. But he is gone. Uh, Derek's lock of the week, UTEP Fresno State over 51 and a half. So he likes that game to be a little more high scoring. I think I said the abs- the actual, uh, the different uh, the other side of that, I thought it'd be more low scoring. Uh, Derek has been really good in his lock of the week, twelve and four. He got it last week, barely, barely got it on the lock of the week. He had um, Army and Navy at under thirty-four, I believe it was, or maybe it was under thirty-one. Regardless, uh, or no, it was, it was maybe it was thirty-two. Nonetheless, there were thirty-one total points scored in that game, or he got it barely. It was either thirty or thirty-one total points scored in that game with, I believe, the over-under being 32.5 or somewhere in there. He barely got his lock of the week, but you know what? He got it. He's 12-4 and four on that, so uh, that's a pretty good run for him. Uh, once again, Derek's lock of the week is UTEP Fresno State going over 51.5. Moving on to the National Football League. I am 33-21-1. I went 4-1 last week. Derek is 40-29-1. He went 3-2 last week. Uh, first up is... New England at Indianapolis. Uh, the Colts are laying two and a half points. You know what? I like the Colts here, too, uh, as does Derek. Derek uh, picked Indianapolis. And you know what? If the Colts win outright, that's really good news for the Chiefs. So maybe I, I hope I'm not betting too much with my heart here. Um, but I, I really do like the, the Colts in this game. It's, it's, it's in Indianapolis. Um, I know a lot of people like to say, wow, what an amazing game plan. The Patriots had against the Bills, and that is true. They did have an amazing game plan against the Bills, Bills. but in spite of that amazing game plan with the Bills, uh, they still only won the game by four points. So Bill Belichick's the greatest coach to ever do it. Um, he's done amazing things this year with a, a New England team that I think, it, frankly, has a pedestrian quarterback. Uh, but I still I, I like what he's done this year, but still for this one, give me um, the Indianapolis Colts. Derek also, as I said, picking Indianapolis. Tennessee at Pittsburgh. This game is a pick'em. Derek is taking the Steelers. I am going to take the Titans. So that would be bad news uh, for the Chiefs. Now the Titans have struggled a little bit uh, with loss of Derek Henry, so I don't discount that. This game is in Pittsburgh. If Derek's right about these two games, then that's then the Chiefs are going to be sitting there as the one seed coming away after this weekend and control their own destiny for the one seed. Uh, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there, but look, this wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me one bit if this is exactly what happens that uh, the Pittsburgh winds up winning. I, however, am going to go ahead and pick the Tennessee Titans, especially since it is a uh, it is a pick'em. So all they have to do is win the game. It can be by one, it can be by ten, it doesn't matter. The Bengals are at Denver, minus two and a half. Uh, Derek going with the Bengals. Um, uh, that feels like the right pick, I, but I'm going to go with uh, with Denver. Um, and the reason for that is I think this is a Vegas know-something game. I think uh, I, would, I would expect Cincinnati to actually be the favorite in this game. They're not. Denver is, so I, I'm, I don't know what to take, what to do with that. Usually when that happens, I think Vegas must know something. It's a two-and-a-half-point spread, which means Cincinnati still has room, um, and Denver would have to win by at least a field goal, but still give me the Broncos. Derek is taking the Bengals. He has his theory that 
Uh, the Bengals are like the Chargers, that each of those teams, when people start talking about them, that's when they start playing poorly. When people start ignoring them, that's when they start playing well again. The Bengals are being ignored. Derek picked, picking the Bengals uh, plus two and a half points against the Denver Broncos. Two more games to go as we move along. The Seattle Seahawks at the L.A. Rams. Uh, this is one that's been uh, moved uh, due to, oh no, uh, this was the, yes, this has been moved as a result of COVID. So that could um, that could uh, change some things. Uh, the Rams are favored by four and a half points. Derek is taking Seattle. Um, I'm also going to take Seattle. Well, no. You know what? I'm going to take the Rams. I, I just talked myself right out of that one and, and the more wishy-washy I am, the, wish, the worse I do on these things. So I'm, I'm kind of worried I won't do particularly well this week. Um, but give me the Rams. Derek's taking the Seahawks. Uh, again, the Rams laying four and a half points. I, I think they get it done, especially since it's at home. They're trying to keep pace. Um, but the Rams have kind of struggled lately. But um, give me the Rams. Uh, next, Green Bay Packers are at Baltimore. You don't know about Lamar Jackson. Is he going to be injured? Is he not going to be injured? We don't know, but the Packers are laying five and a half at Baltimore. Derek is taking the Ravens. I am also going to take the Ravens. I think they're kind of pissed after last week. Their coach getting questioned for all of his uh, decisions regarding analytics rather than um, going for you know the more traditional football uh, thoughts. A lot of people disagreed with them. It, it result, you know, the, the Ravens lost the game. I think they rally around John Harbaugh, who I think is one of the best coaches in the entire NFL. That said, I think Matt Lafleur is also one of the best coaches in the entire NFL. Wouldn't surprise me if the Packers win, but you're giving me uh, a good Ravens team at home. Plus, you're giving me five and a half points. I'm going to agree with Derek on that one and pick the Baltimore Ravens. So those are our game picks. Uh, and that concludes the second hour of Rock Chalk Sports Talk this Friday evening. Uh, it's not evening yet. I think I said evening starts at 5. So we're still technically in the afternoon. Nonetheless, we are at uh, two hours down, one hour to go. When we get back, we're going to hear from Bill Self. And uh, we'll talk about some KU basketball. They play Stephen F. Austin tomorrow night. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.